0: Welcome home. One of our trips in the last, can't remember which one, in the last five to 10 years where we went overseas, I can remember coming home and I think I remember which trip it was, but I'm not sure. But, anyways, it was, uh, I know we spent some time in Europe, and if you haven't been to Europe, Europe is a very dark place. I know there's the beautiful architecture in the buildings and all of that kind of stuff, and I get all that. We've got plenty of pictures from our trip, such as to Italy. But Europe is a dark place. We've been there three times now, sometimes on a layover on a flight and or you have to spend a half a day someplace because of your flight to someplace else in the Far East or whatever on missions. But I can remember this one trip in particular. Let me just say this. When you go to Europe, you sense the lack of God's presence there. It is a continent that has turned its back on God And I'm not saying there aren't any saved people there. There are some saved people, but it's a very dark place. Not to say everybody in the USA is saved, I'm not saying that. Uh, That wouldn't be true. We know that. The majority of people in the U.S. are not born-again believers. But I can remember coming back and you know you go, that's the very course a very long flight back, and then you have to go through customs and you have to go through this and go through that. And I can remember the last person we saw, the last place where we had to stop we came through and we were so glad to be back in the USA. But she looked at us and she said this, she said, welcome home, welcome home. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if it was because we had missed our home so much or what, but it was was really an emotional thing. It was an emotional thing. Now, I think of that and how wonderful it was to come back to the United States of America And then I think, friends, if that is true, can you imagine what it's going to be like when we step on shore, so to speak, when we go to be with the Lord, when we make it to heaven? And I wouldn't doubt it if we hear, and maybe even from the Lord himself, welcome home, welcome home. You know, the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. There's something there as far as a welcome and an embrace, right? It is hard for us to comprehend eternity, but it is coming, there's a time coming, let me put it this way, when time will be no longer. We can't relate to that, but it's true. There will be no need nor ability to measure time or anything related to it whatsoever. No more need of watches, calendars, alarms, clocks. No need. We'll be an eternity See, the future is bright for the child of God. This is because the Bible is a book of promises and our future is as bright as the promises that God has given us in scripture. So what does the future hold? Well, and as we continue this last session in our study on Countdown Armageddon, let's turn our Bibles over to Revelation chapter 20 and we are going to go through here. This is not an exhaustive study. If it was, we would be here for many weeks. I only wanted to include this as part of this series because we can talk about a lot of the dark days ahead for planet Earth. And friend, there's a lot of dark days ahead for planet Earth, according to the Bible. And we've covered them in this series. But you know, that's not the blessed hope. The dark days ahead are not the blessed hope. The blessed hope is the rapture of the church when Jesus is gonna come take the church out of the world and we're gonna live forever with him. And where are we gonna live forever with him? Wherever he is. But our first stop is going to be heaven. And I believe as we go through here, I believe that first stop is the new Jerusalem. I believe it exists today. And I'll say more about that in, in a few minutes. So our future is bright. So what does the future hold? Well, number one, the future tells us, God's word tells us that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This is where believers will live. In Revelation chapter 20, it says, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. So the earth and the heaven that exists today are going to go out of existence one day at the end of time. People say, when's it gonna take place? At the end of time, all right? You're in Revelation 20, go to Revelation 21 now in verse 1, and you could kind of pick it up from verse 11 in chapter 20 and go to verse 1 of 21. It says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Yeah, we just read that. And there was no more sea, so the new earth will not have any more sea on it. It'll all be property. I'd say, oh, I'm going to miss it. You won't miss it. Believe me, you won't miss it. You're going to be thinking totally different. This is a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. I do not believe it is renovated. Many Bible teachers say it's a renovated heaven and earth. I respect the position and I understand why they believe that. I just don't believe it. The word here, the Greek word for new is used other places in the New Testament to describe something brand new, not renovated. God could have made a clear distinction of that. In Matthew 26, you don't have to turn there unless you're very fast with your fingers. But in Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus at the Last Supper said, For this is my blood of the New Testament. Same Greek word as in Revelation 21. New Testament. Was the New Testament a renovation of the old? No, it's something completely different new, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. Matthew 27, verse 60, referring to the tomb that Jesus was put in. It says, and laid it in his own, talking about Joseph, laid it, the body of Jesus in his own, what? New tomb. Now we know that that tomb had never been used before. It was a brand new tomb. It wasn't a renovated old one with a new sticker on the outside. And then to top it all off, and I think probably the, one of the most significant verses talking about this word new is found in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says, "If therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you trust Jesus Christ the Savior, you are born again. You are born from above. It is not a renovation of your old sin nature. It is a completely new birth. That's brand new. It's not renovated. So I hold to the position that this new heaven and new earth will be literally brand new, never known before. Also notice that in verse two, the same word is used to describe the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21 verse two. Let's go there. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Now, New Jerusalem, why is it called New Jerusalem? It's in contrast to the old Jerusalem. I've been to Jerusalem twice. It's a wonderful city. As a matter of fact, if I didn't live in the U.S., I'd rather live in Israel. Israel is a wonderful place, and Christians feel at home in Israel, But I can tell you this, the Jerusalem that now is, and we're gonna see this in scripture, is not the same as the new Jerusalem, which we will experience. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, which leads us to our second point today. What are we gonna see in heaven? Well, there's a new heaven and new earth, but secondly, the new Jerusalem. It is called the holy city. The holy city, according to the Bible, is not Rome. The holy city is the new Jerusalem. As we look at some of its characteristic as we go through today, remember that the creation of this new Jerusalem, this magnificent city that I believe exists today, it is a supernatural existence. So you're going to read things, here's why I say this. You may be here today and you don't know where you're going when you die, you're skeptical of Christianity, you don't know what the Bible says or you maybe have a misunderstanding. You may think that the Bible teaches good boys go to heaven, bad boys go to hell, or good girls go to heaven, bad girls go to hell. That's not what determines whether you go to heaven or not. That's not the determining factor. Folks, the Bible is a supernatural book. And when you die, you enter into the supernatural in the sense of the eternal for the believer okay we enter into a spiritual realm this new jerusalem that we are going to be going to this is a a magnificent thing that god has created and if god is the almighty god that he says he is and he is it's no problem for him to make something like this that works Architects can look at the new Jerusalem and they can say, well, I don't know if I really believe that, if that's literal or not. I mean, how does this part work? How does that part work? Friend, God is the master architect. He has no problem making it work. He formed the world and everything that's in it. He knows how it works. So the new Jerusalem, okay, first, I believe this new heavenly Jerusalem is in existence today. Now, I didn't always believe that. We had a a guest speaker here years ago and he was preaching and he was kind of just passing through the scriptures and he mentioned a verse and we're going to look at it in just a minute, Galatians chapter four, if you want to turn there. He mentioned a verse and I'll tell you what, it stopped me dead in my tracks because I said, whoa, the gospel songwriters had it right when they sing and they write about streets of gold and pearly gates and all these kind of things. They had it right And I used to believe, well, this is something that God is going to create in the future. No, friend, I believe it is the dwelling of the saved today. I believe that. This is where believers go when they die. Why do I believe that? Well, because of what the Bible says. Look at it, Galatians 4, verse 25. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Just don't worry about that. We're getting to the point. And answer it to Jerusalem, which now is. Do you see that? Jerusalem, which now is. That's the Jerusalem. Today, if you were to get on a plane and go to Israel, you would go to the Jerusalem that now is, now is, and is in bondage with her children. But in contrast to that, Jerusalem, which is above, it doesn't say the Jerusalem which one day will be above. It says Jerusalem which is above. Do you see that? How many of you see that? I believe it means it's there now. Jerusalem which is above is free. Isn't that a great word? You might say, how do I get to heaven? Well, you don't pay a price. Jesus paid the price on the cross. And he offers it to you freely. If you trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. See, we're all sinners. We all deserve to spend forever separated from God. But God in his love took on flesh the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to the cross. He made a payment for our sin. He rose from the grave. And he says, if you put your faith in me that I paid for your sin, I'll give you as a free gift everlasting life. You go to heaven on what Christ has done. You don't go to heaven on what you do. Heaven is not a reward for doing good works. Heaven is a free gift. By trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The new Jerusalem, I believe it is in existence today. Let me show you another verse on this. Look with me over to Hebrews chapter 12. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 22, it says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, ye are come, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's in existence and to an innumerable company of angels, just in case you weren't sure where the location was. It's in heaven, all right? Now let's go back to Revelation 21, and let's look at this marvelous place where we are going to go. You know, recently, somebody who came somewhat regularly, as much as he could to our church, he went home to be with the Lord, Billy Hansen, and he was quadriplegic, and... Uh, uh, You know, it talks about in in the book of Acts, the individual who got healed and he was there, he was walking and leaping and praising God, right? Can't you just, I bet Billy's still doing it. I bet he's still doing it. I bet he is walking and leaping and praising God on the streets of gold, awestruck by this new place. As soon as he died, he was ushered into the presence of God in heaven. And he was completely free. Completely free of any restrictions and problems that he had physically. That's what awaits every believer. Revelation 21 verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he... And he... Isn't that interesting? The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. The tabernacle, the dwelling place is with the Lord himself. You know, there was the, uh, the tabernacle in the, uh, in the old Testament. Then there is the temple. And, And today, of course, the temple has been destroyed and believers today are the temple of the Holy spirit. It is this place where we can commune and we can fellowship with God himself. There's a day coming. We are going to a place, believer, a real place in existence. And the Bible tells us that the tabernacle is with the Lord himself. There will be a completely new level of intimacy and knowing God. You know, many times, the only time we experience the intimacy that God wants us to have with him, when I say intimacy, I don't mean the perversion of it, the world way, you know what I'm saying. I'm talking about the very personal, close-knit relationship with him. Many times, that's something that, unfortunately, many times, the only times we get into that are when we are faced with very difficult trials in life. And, oh, the sweet fellowship and the closeness And how our senses are keen and tuned to the Lord at those times of difficulties and trials. But listen, it will be our constant existence in heaven. Amazing. Our senses will be supernatural and will be perfectly tuned to the Lord himself. Saved man will have new capacities to worship and fellowship and enjoy eternity. Every believer will have new capacities to worship and fellowship and enjoy eternity. I am convinced this is one of the reasons why the Lord said, you have to be born again if you're going to see the kingdom. Listen, we as we are today could not exist in heaven. I think we would in a split second would go insane because it is such a different level of existence than what we have. But when you are born again, God gives you a new nature born of God and that new nature is made for heaven. Magnificent, verse four. And I love verse four. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. I don't think it's just physical either. There's a lot of people who are suffering in this world. You can have all of this if you'll simply trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. No works involved, no price to pay. Jesus paid it all, did all the work. He offers salvation as a free gift. Look at those words. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You notice it doesn't just say, they'll quit crying. No. God himself will wipe away all tears from their eyes. This is our God. No more death, no sorrow, no crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Look at the next phrase. For the former things are passed away they're passed away. This is a wonderful and freeing promise. All the trials of life will be over. All the issues that brought emotional sorrow and pain will be over. Think of it people live in christians live in bondage and i don't mean it in a in a bad way shame on them i'm just saying there are things that christians struggle with their entire lives and a day is coming when that complete release from those things is going to take place all the dis- disappointments will be over there will be no more crying there will be no more suffering no more loneliness A lot of lonely people. A lot of lonely Christians. Now I know we can say, and there's truth to it, we can say, well, come on. You've got the Lord. That's true. Amen to that. And if it wasn't for Him, we wouldn't make it through. But you know what? Nevertheless, there's a lot of lonely Christians. Christians who have lost loved ones. Christians who have lost Husbands, wives, Christians who have lost parents, Christians who have lost children. No more crying, no more suffering, no more loneliness, no more struggles. All hurts will be over forever. Never again, even a shadow of pain. Why? Because the former things are passed away and all of those things have to do with this life, which will be the former things. Now I've had people ask me before, well, what about our friends and relatives who never trusted Christ the Savior and they ended up, as we saw in Revelation 20, they ended up in the lake of fire, the final hell, and they're going to suffer forever and ever and ever Now remember, friends, listen, don't blame God for that. God offered them a free ticket to heaven. All they needed to do is put their faith in Jesus Christ and they didn't have to go there. Jesus paid the price for their sin, but they needed to accept the payment he made as their own. So don't blame God. The spirit convicted them during their life. That's what the Bible says and it's a true book. But here's the point and I get it. What about our friends and relatives who never trusted Christ the Savior and went to the lake of fire? Won't that lessen the joy of heaven for the Christian? Emphatically, no. And let me show you why. I want you to turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 65. See, God is gonna do a supernatural work. I think this is part of him wiping away all the tears. When there will be no more pain, no sickness, nor sorrow, nor any of these things. I think this is part of it. This is a big reason for that. A time will come, and it says in Isaiah 65, verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, watch this, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Coupled with Revelation 21, 4, I believe the Lord will wipe away even the memory of anything bad or sorrowful. He's just going to wipe it away. He's going to, in a sense, do memory surgery on us. I'm taking your memory away. All the things that cause pain and sorrow and grief, things that you're concerned about, I'm wiping away all of that. I'm going to do some memory surgery on you. I'm just going to wipe your memory clean of that stuff. And the only thing you are going to have for all eternity, believer, is intimate joy and fellowship with God. See, that ought to make us homesick. There's nothing in this world that compares with heaven. Revelation 20, verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Do you see that? Behold, I make all things new. Everything. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Now this seems to be a new beginning or transition. Beginning in verse 10, we see a further description of the new Jerusalem. Actually, verses 10 through 21. And we're not going to cover these in detail. If you want them in more detail, get our series. It's on the internet, on the book of Revelation, verse by verse through Revelation. And you can go and you can get a more detailed study on this. But Revelation 20, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, clear as crystal. While the church is seen as the bride, the new city, the new Jerusalem is also seen as a bride. You may say, isn't that a contradiction? No, it's a description. It will be 100% beautiful and stunning, just like a beautiful bride, but even more so. This new Jerusalem that we will go to. It will be beyond our comprehension today. We will have the capacity to enjoy it when we get there. But today we could not comprehend it. It has the very glory of God. That's amazing. Revelation 21 verse 12. And it had a great wall, or it had a wall great and high and had 12 gates And at the gates, 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. So you've got the gates and then there's 12 foundations. I I see them as slabs. And in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now let's break this down, okay? The wall around the city, verses 12 through 14 and 17 and 18. According to the scriptures, if we are going to measure these things out, the wall around the city, catch this now, it will be 216 feet high. Israel will have a part in the city as also will the church. There are 12 gates and on each one of the gates is the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. One commentator says the fact that each gate tower bears a name of one of Israel's tribes probably indicates, and I love this, that Israel will have a distinctive identity and role in this city as it had throughout history. God will perpetuate the memory of Israel throughout eternity. And why not? They're his chosen people. His promises were linked to them. And his faithfulness was linked to his promises. It all brings glory to God. Now these gates and walls will rest on a foundation that is made up of 12 pieces or slabs, each having the name of one of the 12 apostles. By the way, this completely destroys the idea of Mormons having their own apostles. Now there's only 12 and they're not Mormons. Let's move on. The size of the city. Now I love this one. The size of the city, the New Jerusalem, verses 15 and 16. The city is approximately 1,400 miles in each direction, including height, verse 16. It is shaped four square, like a cube, I believe. Now, there's some debate on this. Some people say it's more more like a pyramid. Okay, I think it's a cube. The size would be about from Miami, Florida, straight across the U.S. into Mexico until you're right under Denver, Colorado, then straight up to the border. I'll show you this in just a minute, to the Canadian border, across to Maine and then back down to Miami. We see it in verse 16. The city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height are of equal. Okay. Or they are equal. Let me show this to you on a slide. Let's, let's bring that slide up. Do you see it? Do you see the red line? If you were to take the dimensions of the New Jerusalem and you were to lay them over the United States, that's one city, that's one city. No wonder we have supernatural bodies. There's no way you're gonna get around that very quickly, right? (laughs) Look at that, 1400 miles, this way, this way, this way, and this way, and then up. That's the New Jerusalem. One man said that if only 25% of the space of the New Jerusalem was used for dwelling places, for people, 20 billion people could be accommodated spaciously. And that's only 25% of it. This is absolutely gigantic. It would make Los Angeles look like a dot. Now, why do I believe it was cubical? Well, the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament was also cube in shape. What does this show? It shows the perfection of God. It shows the perfection of God. You might say, well, that sounds weird to me. A cube city made of clear gold. That sounds strange to me. Let me say this. If you're saved, it won't look strange. You will feel completely at home. In the new Jerusalem, it's going to be spectacular. You might say, well, how do you get from one level to the next and all this? That's not our problem. That's God's problem. And he's the master architect. I don't know. I can tell you this, folks. This is a marvelous spiritual reality. What about the composition? Verse 18, and the building of the wall of it was of jasper and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. Pure gold, like unto clear glass. The composition of the city, pure gold. The glory of God, the Shekinah glory will shine through it. It will be a brilliant light. This is why we need to be born again. We need to have supernatural bodies because there's no way humanly today we could handle this. Verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, Every several or individual gate was of one pearl. Can you imagine? And the streets of the city were pure gold as it were transparent glass. Yes, there will be gates of pearl. Verse 21, we hear that in gospel songs, gates of pearl. Imagine those gates, each gate, one solid pearl, 216 feet high. Might I say, where did God get all that? He created it. He created it. Created the universe. I just wonder, I, I, this has never occurred to me until just now. God is so good. I wonder how much delight he had in crafting this and designing this, thinking, oh man, they're gonna love this. They are gonna love this. Verse 22, and I saw no temple therein. Watch this, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. See, every temple that's ever existed, every structure that's ever existed that was built for worship of God, they'll all be gone and he himself. It will be completely face-to-face worship, completely engulfed, completely consumed by worship and focus Of our Lord. And there will be much more, by the way. There's the river of life, there's the tree of life, which we're not going to take the time to cover. Well, let's move on here. We see in verse 22, as I just read, and I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Number three, the Lord Himself will be our place of worship. No temple will be needed. Everything in the earthly tabernacle and temple of the past pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ as its fulfillment. There will be no barriers between the believer and his God. He will be our place and object of worship. He will be our love and our desire for all eternity. We can't even comprehend that. We sing hymns and we'll use the phrase in them, he is my all in all. This will be the fulfillment of that. And it will be an eternal constant fulfillment for all eternity, okay? Now, let me just mention this. And, and I love gospel music, not all of it. Some of it's, it's terrible. The lyrics are bad or the music is bad. I get that. So, so by the way, don't write me in on that. But let me say this, friend. And I understand there's an emotional aspect of going to heaven and being reunited with our loved ones. And I think God is gonna allow that because he knows our hearts. I can't prove that, I just think he will. He's gonna allow that because he knows our hearts. But that will be so minuscule, so small in comparison with being awestruck by the face and the presence of our Savior who bought our salvation. So the Lord himself will be our place of worship, okay? It will be also, it will be a place of perpetual light. We see that in verses 23-23. And also in 22 5, uh, it will always be day and never dark. No sun nor moon for light. You won't need moon. Uh, well, <laughs> I'll say it. You knew it was coming, but I didn't say it. You won't need moonshine. <laughs> you won't need the moon to shine, is what I meant. And you won't need the sun to shine, because Jesus is the light of the world. In John 8:12, Jesus spoke unto them, He said, "I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world." Now here in Revelation 21 verse 23, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Such brightness that you could only comprehend it if you were born again and had a new nature. Will we need sunglasses? No, you won't need sunglasses. Everything will be perfectly tuned. Perfectly tuned. It'll be absolute. The city is transparent and the permanent dwelling of the glory of God. The light is not created light, but it's the glory of God himself. It's the Shekinah glory of God that will lighten the universe. And it'll lighten the entire universe. This is amazing. Revelation 21, verse 24, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. During Bible times the gates of the cities were closed to protect the city from enemies. There will be no enemies. For all sin will be gone. You'll feel 100% safe 100% of the time. Revelation 21:26 and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. It will be a world, it will be a universe of activity and loving service for the Lord. Everything will be focused on him. Everything will be focused on him. Notice that there will be saved people living and working in other areas of the new earth. There will be activity. So the idea that heaven is some sort of a existence where you're almost like on hallucinogenic drugs on a cloud strumming a harp. Hmm. No, friend, it's not the way it is. You'll be more alive than you've ever been before, and you'll have 100% joy and excitement and love for the Lord. Revelation 22, verse 3 And there shall be no more curse, (laughs) for the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Do you see? We're going to be active. We're going to be active which leads us to our last point. It will be, I don't know how to phrase these things. I just did what I could on this. It will be 100% perfection forever. How's that for a summary? It will be 100% perfection forever, verse 27. No sin will be there. It will be such a perfect existence. Can I say, relating to those of us who are still on this side, if you are saved in a perfectionist, you will be delighted when you get to heaven. <laughs> Revelation 21, verse 27, and there shall in no wise enter into it, no way enter into it, heaven. Anything that defiles, neither whatsoever worketh an abomination or makes a lie. In other words, nothing will enter into it that has sin, No sin. But, They which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So what all does this mean? Here's what it means, friends. Please listen carefully. This awesomeness, this awesome, eternal, new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth, wherein dwells 100% righteousness, it can be yours today, but you must come on God's terms, not your own terms. Okay? You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot earn it. Let me explain this to you. It's so important for you to understand it. By the way, here in Revelation 22, go to chapter 22. Look at the language here. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. Do you see the generosity of God, the love of God? Three times he's inviting you to come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life, and that's Jesus, by the way. How? Freely. It costs you nothing. He's offering it to you freely. You can have heaven freely, but you must believe. Believe what? I'm getting to that. You must believe if you want to live forever in heaven. Let me explain it to you today. I'm going to illustrate this with this hand representing you and me. We're going to let this wallet represent all the things we do wrong. God calls them sins. We're all sinners. We all are sinners. God loves us. He hates our sin. Sin separates you from God. You cannot get to heaven with even one sin. As we have just read in Revelation 21, 27, heaven is a perfect place for you to go there. You have to be sinless. No sin can enter into heaven. We have a problem. We're sinners. Not only that, but God says this, to get to heaven, Our sin has to be completely gone. If we die with our sin, we are gonna have to make a payment for it. The wages of sin, according to the Bible, is death. We would have to die not only physically, but be separated from God for all eternity in a literal lake of fire with no rest day nor night. Now, you don't have to go there. No one has to go there. But this is the payment for sin. A lot of people think good works will pay for sin doing good, okay, reforming your life, turning from your sin. They'll say, repent of your sin, and they define that as as you have to stop sinning. What person has ever stopped sinning? Nobody has ever stopped sinning. It's not good to sin. I'm just saying no one has ever stopped sinning. So if that's a requirement to get to heaven, nobody's going there. So why'd God make it so big if no one's can get there? No. Good works won't save says this in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You see that it's a gift? Not of works, your good works won't save you. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So look up here, here we are as sinners. The best we can do, which is good works, will not take away the sin. God requires a death payment be made for our sin if we're gonna get to heaven. We couldn't do it ourselves and that's why he sent Jesus. God in the flesh, this representing him. Jesus came, he lived a perfect life. And when he went to the cross and died there, he died there to pay for my sin and for your sin. He went to the cross, he entered the world and went to the cross to die and pay for our sin. Why? So that we would not have to do it ourselves. Jesus took that sin upon himself. He made the complete payment. He died, was buried, and he rose from the grave three days later, conquering death and therefore offering us life. And listen, he says this, that if you will believe or trust in him that he has paid for all your sins, when you do, all your sin is forgiven. He gives you everlasting life, everlasting life if you put your faith in him. He says in his word, he'll never lose you, he'll never cast you out. All you need do is trust in him as your savior. Look at the last couple of verses, 1 John chapter 5. See, you can know before you ever walk out of here today that you're going to heaven. You can know that. All the things we've covered, the wonders of heaven, when you die, you can hear from God himself, welcome home, but you must come his way. And that is through the work of his son and only through the work of his son. First John chapter five in verse 12, it says this, he that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may, look at that, you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it? Yeah, you can know it. Boy, that was news to me at age 19. I didn't know I could know it until I read it in the Bible. It says you can know it. Wait a minute. These things, who's writing that to me? God is. This is in his book. He's making a written guaranteed promise to me that if I will believe on the name of his son, Jesus, God, who is our savior, if I trust in Jesus Christ that he died for me and rose from the grave as the payment for my sin, says I can know that I have eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal means everlasting life. It's the same Greek word as John 3.16 for everlasting. You can know you have eternal life. Let me ask you, friend, will you put your trust in Jesus Christ today as your savior? We're not talking religion. We're talking reality. We're not talking, oh, you have to do all these things if you hope to make it one day. We're saying, no, put your faith in Christ and you can know you have eternal life. That's the Bible. It deals in certainties, not gray areas. Would you today put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? This glorious new Jerusalem, this glorious existence of heaven for all eternity, no suffering, no pain, no sorrow, never, ever, ever, only joy. You can have it if you'll put your trust in Jesus Christ today as your Savior. He'll give it to you, heaven for free. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening, and would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.